welcome to Fueling the Transition, a series of podcasts from AFree Management Consulting. My name is Matt Brown. I'm Vice President in the Management Consulting Division at AFRI. And this series of podcasts will be exploring the energy transition and the key themes and trends we see driven by decarbonization, digitalization, and decentralization. I'm very pleased to say we have with us Angie Needle from Cadent. Hello, Angie. Hi there. Nice to be here. Thanks. And we also have my colleague who is looking after our hydrogen expertise cluster, John Williams, with us. Hi, John. Hi, Matt. Nice to be with you again. Super. And Angie, what's your role at Cadent? At Cadent, I'm the strategy director. So I joined a couple of years ago to make hydrogen happen. I'm responsible for everything to do with technical and safety, feasibility aspects of hydrogen, the advocacy and stakeholder management, um, regulatory interfaces that we need to think about. So it's quite a lot, a lot to do as we plan a transition away from natural gas in our pipes to hydrogen. Very good. And what is your, you know, if I think about what is your motivation, what drives you in this area? Is this an, an area that you're passionate about? Oh, yeah, totally. So, I, I mean, I um, got an environmental science background, so I've always been in sort of the green world, if you like. And I, re- I remember being at school and drawing the old greenhouse gas effect, uh, which was called global warming back then, wasn't it? Which um, <clears throat> we don't tend to use those terms anymore. But I remember feeling quite bothered about and quite passionate about environmental issues. And uh, in those days, there was only really two options when you were caring about green stuff, you could be in forestry or in the water sector. I remember having my careers advice. So I, I, I went and did a stint in water, water industry, and um, I ended up being the energy manager there where I really realised that green things is really about energy and energy management. And um, I joined Caden on purpose to focus on hydrogen because I could see how much of a key role it plays in getting to net zero. And as well as your work at uh, Caden, I think you've got a few other things that you're you're also uh, been busy with. Can you tell us a few a uh, few of those? Yeah, so obviously passionate about um, net zero and, and climate change and the impact that we as people have on the planet. Um, I've just been made uh, vice president of Hydrogen UK, which is a new new trade association to really draw together. Uh, the value chain of of players in the hydrogen sector so we can sort of put pressure on the places where we need change. And then I'm also a co-founder of the Women's Utility Network, which has really the sole purpose of making the utility and energy sector a place where women can thrive. Um, we're still in quite a minority across all kinds of roles um, in energy and water. And um, so we do that in our spare time, um, boosting the role of women in the sector. It's fabulous. Excellent. What what sort of thing do, do the women in utilities? What do you organise? What sort of things do, do you put together? Yeah, all kinds of things. So we've got um, we've got a, a website which people can have a, a quick look at, which is the one dot com, and we run monthly webinars which flip between personal development things and uh, energy and uh, water topics. So uh, quite topical things. We, we do a lot of work on the things that women struggle with, sort of usually about confidence and, you know, all kinds of things which we deal with, which is maybe slightly different to our, our male counterparts. And we also run a mentoring program. So we, you know, match women 
who are more junior in the sector with more senior women. So, yeah, we, we run all kinds of events and activities and actually we change them quite regularly based on what people tell us that they need. Okay. And I understand, you know, it's, it's pretty open. Everyone's welcome. Just, yeah, uh, just... it's free, free, free to join. It's funded by, you know, we keep going through the generous uh, donations of in industry players, um, but really it's for, it's for the women. So we pride ourselves on the fact that we don't charge anything for people to join any of our events. It's absolutely free. And if people want, want to help as well, then this mentoring idea is something that, that sounds, sounds uh, you know, a really good idea if people want to give up a bit of their time and, you know, help in this way. And honestly, mentoring is one of the most rewarding things that you can do, not only, you know, giving back a little bit and helping out men or women, actually think, think about their own careers and, and, you know, everybody has tricky situations from time to time. They need somebody to talk to, but also the other way around, I get you know, so much enjoyment from hearing from my mentees. Yeah, I think I probably get, get as much from it as, as they do. So um, and anybody, it doesn't matter how senior you are, you can you can have a role supporting uh, each other. You know, it's great. Very good. So with that, I, probably some people listening may not know so much about Caden. I don't know if you can just give us uh, give us a sort of pen uh, pen picture. Yeah, of course. So Cadence Gas Distribution Network in the UK, we deliver natural gas 24-7 to about 11 million homes up and down um, the country. And so we stretch from um, all the northwest Midlands, uh, East Anglia, all the way down to London. We have four of the nine uh, networks with the largest of the gas distribution networks. That's that's covering uh, sort of all all sectors, some industrial, commercial, uh, residential, supplying gas to all of those all of those people. Yeah, that's right. So we've got yeah homes and businesses, industrial and commercial, of course. At the higher end, what we we have national grid, which provides the bigger users with their supply of natural gas, but we we take gas from national grid to distribute through the smaller sizes pipes, if you like, which is you know we've got one hundred thirty two thousand kilometers of pipes to, to manage maintain on a, on a daily basis we also run the emergency helpline so if you have a smell of gas um, escape you'll be phoning cadence and we will be responding to that to make sure that you're seen to as quickly as possible and that safety uh, safety and security part in the gas networks is a critical critical part of course um, with the potential for for gas escapes yeah of course yeah and then uh, in terms of, you know, the sort of challenges for Cadent looking forward, what would you say the, uh, the areas of focus are? Well, I mean, it's not obvious, really. I mean, we're a gas network today that delivers a fossil fuel. We know how important it is to move away from fo- fossil fuels as quickly as humanly possible. And yet, you know, we rely on natural gas. It really underpins our existing energy system in the UK, not only for generating power when there is a lull in renewables. It manages the grid. It does all the balancing, heavy lifting on the balancing on the grid. So there's enough electricity all the time. It provides heat to people's buildings. You know, 22 million homes are connected to the gas grid. So there's a huge amount to do to wean ourselves off natural gas. And of course, that is, affects our network because that's what we do today. We deliver natural gas. And so we were planning, you know, the biggest challenge for us right now is what, how we plan a, an uncertain future. We don't quite know how it's going to pan out, but there's some things that we can see today that are crucial for us to do as gas networks to make sure that we know um, we're pushing towards 
reducing and, and finally removing in its entirety natural gas from the energy system. And we've got a key role in that because pipes that are in the ground are a valuable asset for the UK. We need to work out what to do with them in the future. In terms of in terms of that future, then obviously the topic today is is hydrogen. What are the what are the potentials for uh, sound probably a silly question, but what are the potentials for for just putting hydrogen into the gas network? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at the transition from where we are today, which is largely national natural gas system. And we do have biomethane connection, connections, but that's still methane. Um, so we need to transition towards uh, hydrogen. And there's a couple of things that we're doing. So we need to make sure that the existing gas network can take both blends of hydrogen and 100% hydrogen. So the testing that we need to do is all the materials in the gas network safe when a conversion might happen. And so all the different bits of um, materials that are there, mostly plastic mains today, which if you're going to pick a material to transport hydrogen, it would be plastic. We've been managing a mains replacement program for quite a long time now, which is just upgrading the gas network anyway. So we've got largely plastic mains. We've got some more to do still, but that's great for transporting hydrogen. The bits that aren't yet plastic, um, plastic and might not be, we're testing those bits of iron main, steel, other, other components to make sure they are compatible with 100% hydrogen. And if they're not, we'll, we'll need to have a program to, to uh, change those or line them somehow. So we've got this sort of quite a big piece of work to demonstrate the technical and safety aspects of moving to hydrogen. We're, we're just working with the health and safety executive to make sure we've got all the all of that done correctly, and the, uh, there's a project um, which I've seen I've seen reported HiNet. I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about about that one as well. Yeah, so HiNet is one of the industrial clusters in the UK. It's in the northwest. It's around Merseyside, and they there's a load of industry there that not only rely on natural gas for their production processes, but also produce CO2 as a byproduct. And so, in this particular industrial cluster, with pull together a consortium to deliver a huge uh, carbon emissions production program, which relies upon hydrogen production. And so the project called HiNet is going to make huge volumes of hydrogen at Ellesmere Port. It's got a carbon capture and storage project in Liverpool Bay. And we, Caden, are going to build the hydrogen pipeline that takes hydrogen from the production centre to the industrial users um, in the region. There's about 80 um, 80 kilometres of pipeline that going to build and it'll connect it up to storage in salt caverns as well. So we've got this little ecosystem um, that we're creating and it, it'll be one of the first of its kind there are another clusters are already been supported in the um, Teesside and Humber region as well but it's it's really going to be an opportunity to do this in practice we do a lot of talking about it so it's quite nice to be actually seeing it develop over time and it's great that it's been selected as one of the track one clusters by the UK government quite recently and what's the uh, what's the sort of timeline for for that then uh, so HiNet's going to start to produce hydrogen from 2025 and we've got a series of stages because we're going to be increasing hydrogen production as demand increases. So it'll step up ever-increasing volumes of hydrogen to 2030. 
30, we've already got, you know, many industrial users signing up to be an off-taker of hydrogen. Okay. Well, it sounds like a, like a really big step forward on the hydrogen front. Uh, John, do you know, do you know much about the HiNet project? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of the, you know, really exciting, interesting projects that have been developed in the UK at the moment, along with the other clusters that um, Angie mentioned. Uh, and also, we should also mention, you know, some of the clusters in Scotland, uh, South Wales, etc. Uh, so it's re- it's really interesting the route that we're taking in the UK, um, supported by the recent uh, UK government's hydrogen strategy, uh, that made it very clear that the UK approach is quite different to a number of continental European countries in terms that we're following a twin track approach. And what that means is the support for both blue and green hydrogen. So blue hydrogen produced from natural gas with carbon capture and storage uh, and green hydrogen produced from renewables through electrolysis. And so initially, uh, as Angie said, you know, the the focus is on these industrial clusters. Um, So bringing in industry, providing incentives for industry to switch to low carbon hydrogen from grey hydrogen. Uh, and then ultimately to switch from fossil fuels such as unabated natural gas to use hydrogen in their application. So really exciting project will really be a kind of trailblazing set of projects, not just in the UK, but will, you know, globally, really, in in terms of how these projects get off the ground. Just one thing I wanted to pick up on, uh, you know, in all, in all the work that we do and all the clients that we talk to, one of the big challenges from the end user perspective is how to decarbonize and how to remain competitive. So switching to low carbon hydrogen or switching from fossils to low carbon hydrogen could result in an increase in cost for end users. And so obviously the, there needs to be some way to incentivize these end users. And I guess they're faced with a challenge to decarbonize but also remain competitive, you know, nationally and, and internationally. Uh, so I just want to ask you, if you could tell you a little bit about some of the uh, challenges that might be facing those end users and some of the support mechanisms that might be put in place or might be needed for them. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. I think it's um, <clears throat> it's important, isn't it, this? Because natural gas is, is well, although we've got a spike in prices right now, it, it's inherently less expensive than hydrogen will be in the first instance. And we've got this need to, you know, we're not going to get to economies of scale of hydrogen unless we invest in some of this production infrastructure quite quickly. And you can see something similar happening to what we did with with wind is that we give it a, a, an incentive in the first instance that helps create the scale that then delivers the the economies of scale and the price reduction over time. And that's really important because, you know, our fear is if we don't support the industrial users of natural gas in decarbonizing, they they could easily offshore elsewhere where, you know, maybe there are less stringent regimes and plans in place. And, you know, as we know, carbon emissions reductions is a global challenge. So, the ambition, of course, is to keep this industry in the UK from an economy and jobs point of view. And there's two key costs, I think, to those industries. The first off is um, the cost of the hydrogen, which the current plans by um, UK government is that it's going to be supported by a contracts for difference type mechanism. And there'll be a consulting on that in the new year. And, and that's quite important because that means that industrial users will pay um, the same amount for hydrogen as they do for nat- natural gas and the, and the, 
the cost difference be- between that is is supported and potentially socialised. So we can keep keep those in industrial users in the UK and reduce carbon emissions. And, th- and then I guess the other cost to consumer uh, to the industries is is just the f- process of fuel switching itself. And they might need changes to their assets. They might need to change their production processes. There might be something a little bit different. The HiNet project has just tested 100% hydrogen with Pilkingtons. So they've made their first hydrogen glass. And so we know you know, it can be done. And so we're working with the industrial users in the, in this particular region to focus on what, what it takes to manage the fuel switching. And again, uh, individual fuel switching projects are being supported by government and probably will need to be because actually it could be a significant cost for some of these organisations. But we you know we mustn't forget that this is going to decarbonise huge swathes of industry in the UK, wherever the clusters might be. And, and just a point on all the clusters, I mean, it's great that Two of the clusters have been supported, but we really need them all to be supported. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't have, you know, we won't get to net zero unless we, you know, um, support ACORN and the, and, and the other clusters. Are, and, and actually, there's a growing number of smaller clusters, which will be as important. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned about the, the, the track one status that HiNet has got. What, what, does, that, what does that mean? It, it means we're, we're sort of first at the negotiating table for the support mechanisms will receive for carbon capture and storage, which which is great. And, you know, we need that in place quickly so that we can get production going. Production is quite important, actually, by 2025, because we expect to deliver a hydrogen village conversion in this region, utilising the hydrogen from Hynet. So um, all these projects, you know, one, one of the issues that we have in the gas sector Testing the transition to hydrogen um, is that you can't do your technical projects unless you've got large volumes of hydrogen. So we we really need to get some of these projects going. Yeah, that hydrogen village. Do we know which village will be selected yet? Will they have any say in it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we don't know which village yet. The, the the government have created a competition between the gas networks to have mm. the first hydrogen village. Maybe more than one for good reason. Um, we would really like more than one village to be selected because if you think, well, there's a few things here. Like we've done this before. Like we've converted from towns gas to to uh, natural gas to North Sea gas back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, we want to be able to demonstrate to government that you can do this, you know, you do need the volumes of hydrogen to make it happen. But in terms of the impact on consumers and things like that. So, so yeah, the next step will be to do, you know, more detailed work, you know, subject to any of us getting through the first round of, of bids for, um, for our villages. Excellent. And, and the, so those villages, they would be fully converted to hydrogen. So they would need their gas boilers replaced with hydrogen boilers. What, what about cooking? Is that something that we can use hydrogen for as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the villages will be one converted to hydrogen in its entirety, which means all the appliances that use natural gas today would be need to be converted to, to use hydrogen. And we're, we've also got a hydrogen show home up in, in Gateshead that we've, we've built and funded with our friends at Northern Gas Networks and Bays. So there's a semi-detached house there, which has got two different types of Gas boilers in there, cookers, ovens, and fires in the in the living room. So you can go and have a look at these appliances. You can see what they're like. You can experience the hot water in the, the radiators. I mean, the whole point about hydrogen conversion, of course, is that it's no different really, apart from changing the 
the, the fuel in the in the pipe. So the boilers look the same; they fit into the same space. It doesn't require a huge amount of disruption from a consumer's point of view, and I think that's quite important because <clears throat> there's lots of different ways of getting to net zero in people's homes. Of course, there's heat pumps and district heating schemes, and they all play a really important part. Mm-hmm. But we've been asked to demonstrate what can be done with hydrogen. And of course, there's a whole supply chain of appliances and and networks for us to think about. And consumers need to be at the heart of this. You know, we need to make it as easy as possible. Else, we might, we might find that consumers choose to do nothing, which would be, mm. yeah, bad. <laughs> yeah, because you know, there, there's quite a lot of debate that goes on about the relative merits of you know hydrogen boilers versus air source heat pumps. You know, and and different European countries have differing views. I, I guess from what I understand of a lot of the discussions going on, the UK is probably the most supportive of conversion to use of hydrogen in heating. But still, in that the government in the recent hydrogen strategy has put off a decision till I think it's twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. Uh, you know, which some people have said it is too long. Why can't we start the transition now? I just wonder what your view was on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, this is a really tricky one, actually, because government wants gas networks to demonstrate what a conversion looked like. And, and actually, you can't do that unless you've got large volumes of hydrogen. And we're not going to get large volumes of hydrogen until 2025. So you can see why they've put the heat policy decision at 2026, because it requires us to gives us time to do all those, you know, demonstration projects and bits and pieces. Um, But I think there's something that we could do before then, which is actually break it down a little bit and show what can be done on, you know, the technical side and the safety side, such that actually by the time you do a town conversion, it's it's given, you can demonstrate that it can be done. So I think, you know, there there are ways of bringing that that forward that we we are looking at. I I think on the on the sort of electric versus hydrogen it's not really a versus thing i think if you just look at the building stock in the uk and you look at the pros and cons of both hydrogen and heat pumps and there's pros and cons to both by the way so obviously heat pumps unfortunately are expensive up front and costs might come down and that would be great but they do come with you know a bigger capital outlay than boilers do but then the running costs might be lower because they're more efficient overall and, and that's great and absolutely brilliant for new bills absolutely great for properties that are off off the gas grid and that's where the strategy is focusing which is which is good news hydrogen of course is we don't quite know what the price of hydrogen is going to be for consumers in the future and that's a problem you know we need to have it as cheap as possible so people can run their appliances cost effectively but it's very low upfront capital costs so there's there's sort of swings and roundabouts on both sides and it really just depend on your home yeah what kind of home have you got how well insulated is it how close is it to an industrial cluster and also is the electricity network reinforced enough to fully electrify that particular region so this isn't just an easy this is why you need options and it's why today's energy system's got lots of different things in it because they they support each other and my view is that we absolutely need a gas to get to net zero that gas is hydrogen because it does things that electricity can't do and vice versa (laughs) electricity does things that gas can't do so they work really well together and so i try to avoid having this which one will win because I don't think it's the right conversation to be having, if I'm honest. Mm, I agree. There's, a, yeah. there's definitely a role for diversity 
in uh, energy supplies always has been being too heavily heavily reliant in uh, one way or another normally doesn't work out too well i think it's also interesting the point you raise angie about what people want as well you know quite often when we're you know if, if one's doing analysis if one's looking to the future and doing analysis and you do a cost analysis and you say that you know it's going to be this or that technology into the future it misses the point that we've got a bunch of people who are used to having gas boilers in the home are used to the system they've got and they might be resistant to change which you know is always going to be a problem so i think that's a that's an important you know, it's a really important thing to think about as well in the future this uh, this resistance to change and and what the consumer themselves would like just kind of thinking about hydrogen more generally um, you know, maybe we'll come back and pick up on some of the, the heating stuff uh, a bit later. But where, where does Cadence stand on on the big green versus blue debate? Is, it, is that something you get involved in? Yeah, well, we, we sort of get asked the question quite a bit. And it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because we're a gas network and, and we're, we're responsible for transporting the energy to where it needs to go, whatever kind of energy that might be, because we'll be told to <laughs> from a regulation, a regulation point of view. But uh, I see everybody's perspective, which, you know, from a purist point of view, wouldn't it be lovely if we could get as much green hydrogen going as possible? But when you look at what the UK has in terms of infrastructure and assets, you know, we've got an offshore industry, we've got uh, sort of North Sea assets, expired gas fields, some natural gas remaining. We have got uh, wind that we can use for electrolysis. We've got a gas network that can transport it around the country. And we've got ambition to be a global leader in hydrogen. And so I think the trajectory should be towards the lowest carbon hydrogen that you can. And um, it's really great to see that the government is setting a low carbon hydrogen standard. So you won't be able to receive your support mechanism for hydrogen unless you can demonstrate the carbon integrity for one of a better word for the production um, and that's really important because um, it kind of doesn't really matter what the color is then right we're really talking about the impact that the production has on the planet and i think that's really what we should be focusing on because there's other colors of hydrogen too turquoise and pink and yellow and it just gets confusing and consumers will be confused if we start trying to focus on just one thing over another because the gas network will transport all low carbon hydrogen regardless of its origin. And so we just need, you know, I just don't want it to be confusing for people. Um, and if we want to get things off the ground, like we need scale. Blue Project provides scale in the first instance and I expect green to provide the scale over time as well. And we just need to get the costs of green down to a, to a place where it is, you know, uh, comparable with blue which will happen um, but it's just this is just a journey that we're on and um, again it's one of those versus discussions that isn't particularly helpful from my point of view yeah however I, I am glad you mentioned turquoise because it's not something we've really explored on this series of podcasts previously um, and and so turquoise as you know is, is produced from natural gas uh, the gas is reacted in a volume to in a vacuum to produce hydrogen and solid carbon or graphite. And interestingly, we saw um, very recently that Centrica have just announced an investment in a UK company called High Rock, mm-hmm. um, which aims to be a turquoise producer. Um, and just, what, what do you think the potential is for that technology to, to play a role? And can it be, you know, can it be a bit of a game changer? 
I mean, it could be, right? You know, if you don't have to store CO2 in the ground as a gas, you know, it, do, it does, it, it sounds appealing, doesn't it? It's a solid mm. carbon. You can do lots yeah. of different things with it. It's just got to, it, this just comes down to economics. It comes down to the cost effectiveness of producing hydrogen at scale. So, you know, you can't point to a scaled pyrolysis plant right now. They don't exist. Um, and so we need to, you know, obviously support innovation. And this is what the UK government is doing. Let's support innovation in hydrogen. As soon as we've put, you know, put the line in the sand of our ambition, innovation's already starting to happen. Um, and the same will happen in appliances in people's homes. As soon as you say you're going to have hydrogen, like lots of things will happen. And so it's, you know, we need to support all these particular, you know, new technologies because we can't afford just to back one horse at the moment. Yeah, and I, and I think our perspective is, is we will completely agree with that. You know, we, we think the, the the scale of hydrogen needed to decarbonize is, you know, enormous. So we need to support all technologies and be able to try and meet that, that challenge. Just, just to kind of move on a little bit into that, I know um, a concern about hydrogen as a safety. Uh, you know, obviously, and I know we've touched on that briefly, obviously, Natural gas safety is the first priority. How do the safety issues change if we switch households to to run on hydrogen? Yeah, it's a good question. So let's not forget the gas sector has been running safe gas networks for a long time, like hundreds of years. So managing the delivery of combustible gases is something that we do day in, day out. And hydrogen is different. Right to natural gas, it behaves differently, and there's some useful things about it and some less useful things. So it has uh, the less useful thing is it has a broader combustion range, which means it's slightly e- easier for it to ignite, which is sort of useful in some situations actually. But if there is an escape, you need to be careful so that you don't have an incident. However, <laughs> on the plus side, it's much lighter gas. It's the smallest molecule. It, it dissipates unbelievably quickly. So the chance of it accumulating to ignite is much, much lower. And so government have done um, quite a big piece of work called Hyper Heat because people are obviously most concerned about, okay, I'm having this in my home. What if it goes to my gas fire or my boiler or, you know, how? more or less dangerous is it than, than natural gas? And just to be absolutely clear with all the listeners, because I think it's a really important point, the health and safety executive are not going to approve hydrogen in the gas network unless it is at least as safe as or more safe than natural gas. So we're not going to go backwards. We have to you know, demonstrate that it is improvement. So we are working quite closely together on all the technical aspects. Um, so we've looked at things like can it carry the same odorant? People might not know that we put an odorant in natural gas, so it's got this special smell that you know. We want the same smell in hydrogen. Can it carry that odor? Yes, it can. Do you need to add a colorant so you can see the flame when it burns? Those of you who've been to the hydrogen show home will know that you can you can see the orange flame that um, the hydrogen cooker burns with without adding any colorants. It's the design of the burners, so we can we can manage that. And the boilers have little infrared sensors, so they they've managed that. They've done things like not nails into floorboards to see damaged pipes to see where it leaks and escapes and those kinds of things. So it's a really comprehensive piece of work. And what's that demonstrating is that hydrogen can be managed uh, effectively in the home because of its attributes of um, being light. You need to just make sure your home has got the required amount of ventilation, which homes 
do, by the way. So it's not like a new exciting thing that we have to look at, but we do have to test that that amount of ventilation is there, which is already a standard. And we might need to move the meter depending on on where it is. And just we, we will put in an extra excess flow valve. And what that is, is it's a safety device that shuts off should large volumes be detected going into a home. And you said, Angie, that's a less dense gas. Does that mean that all of the system will need to be under higher pressure to get the same amount of energy through? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. So, so hydrogen uh, takes up more space than natural gas. It's a, it takes up three times the amount of space. But because it, it, it's a bit of a strange concept, it burns fast, which means that it pulls itself through the network at a fast speed. So there's a um, couple of things that, that we're testing to make sure we can get the volume through. One is, because we, we're not going to change the size of pipes, by the way, because that would mean digging up everywhere. So we know that the existing pipes can take the amount of hydrogen needed. So there's a few things. One, we expect a proportion of homes to not be on natural gas anymore. So that reduces the amount of uh, hydrogen that people might need. The speed of hydrogen means it pulls through fast, which is good. And we're considering putting a slightly higher pressure through the pipes, but within existing limits. So all these things are being modelled modelled right now to make sure it can be managed. Uh, how what what would happen then if we if we move towards you know as an interim a hydrogen blend so by volume we have twenty percent hydrogen twenty percent natural gas um, how does that work in the pipes you know it's a stupid question but does the hydrogen then move faster than natural gas in the blend how do you manage that? yeah it's good it doesn't make any difference so because we we. We, we've got a project running live at the moment in, in Wynn Leighton, which Northern Gas Networks are, are, are running, and um, 600 homes are getting 20% uh, blend of hydrogen to natural gas. Nobody knows any difference in the home, can't see any difference, you know, to the speed of cooking and things like that. And the, the pressures and the and the sensors are all saying it's managed the same. So it's um, it, it obviously can be managed in certain proportions, but just to make it clear to everybody we can't ratchet up just from 20 percent to 100 percent. you can't go 30 percent now and 40 percent and now look we've converted everybody um uk appliances can only take a 20 percent um they're tested to 20 percent hydrogen above that you have to make changes to the actual appliance to the way it burns the gas to, to burn 100 percent hydrogen um and this is why we're we're very supportive of the government's plan to mandate hydrogen ready appliances so they are gas appliances that today can burn methane and then tomorrow can be converted very easily to burn uh, 100% hydrogen so you've got one that's that's dual fuel for want of a better word talking about cooking as well it did and this might be the most important question of the day and I'm reminded of me when I first joined the gas industry which was back in um, 1994 I was working for one of the first independent gas suppliers in the UK. Uh, and I was put answering the phone, customer services, you know, first, second day in the job. Someone called in and said, right, since I've switched to your gas supply, my Yorkshire puddings haven't risen on a Sunday when I put them in the oven. What's going on? Uh, obviously, brand new to the job, no idea how to answer it, but I bluffed my way through it. So is that a concern when we switch to hydrogen? Are people going to notice a difference when they cook with hydrogen? Uh, well, possibly. I mean, we, ha- we haven't tested enough yet on those kinds of things to, to know. But I think that the hydrogen cooker cookers that are up at, um, at the Gateshead house, they're, they're being put through their paces at the moment. And we're going to build some more like catering equipment and things like that. 
to, to see what can be done. I mean, it is different, you know, um, the, the heat that radiates from a hydrogen flame disperses differently than with a natural gas flame. So I there probably will be some differences, but it's a little bit early, early to say yet. But they, they have made Yorkshire puddings and scones and things in the oven, said. Um, <laughs> and I don't think they've seen a, a great deal. They've had a chef in to cook a curry and, and using a wok and all kinds of things. So yeah. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I can't say it's a scientific experiment at this point in time. Um, but, you know, these the good thing about cooking is that there are options, there are electric options. Some people like gas, some people like electric, you know. Um, so we expect it to be, you know, a choice for customers rather than you must have your, you know, your gas hob. But we'll um, we'll have to wait and see how that market develops. I can't imagine anyone preferring an electric hob personally. But <laughs> there we go. I wish you had a recording, John. I don't know if they were recording for uh, for training purposes back then, but I'd They're love not to. Not in those days, I'm afraid. No. no. I'd love to have heard your answer <laughs> as you explained. I don't know, you know, what you could have said. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other questions we wanted to ask was about, you know, the timescales. So, you know, we, we've got all the trials that are going on. We've got the government decision due in the middle of this decade. So when can different parts of the country expect to be or expect to know if they'll have the option of hydrogen? And, and then what does that rollout look like? No, it's it's a great question because the the honest answer is we've got, we're going to have to zone the country. We're going to have to work out which bits of the country are going to be electric and or or, or more electric, and which bits are going to be converted from natural gas to hydrogen. And so, what, what we do know and what we are, we are planning at the moment is how are we going to get the hydrogen out of the industrial clusters where hydrogen is going to be made at scale, and how are we going to um, convert geography surrounding those industrial clusters in the first instance. So um, we've just launched a project called East Coast Hydrogen, actually, which is looking at the feasibility study and then the the front end engineering. So where are the pipes going to go that are going to take the hydrogen from the the Humber industrial cluster? You know, what what route of the 100% hydrogen pipeline do we need to route it so it, it gets to the industrial users first, maybe, you know, all the way into Sheffield and then down into the, the East Midlands. And from that sort of spine that we're producing that, that will deliver hydrogen, how then do we convert cities and towns along that route, bearing in mind that we've got to keep everybody on natural gas, everybody else on natural gas, where we whilst we convert places to, to hydrogen. So, that, so the real challenge is having enough hydrogen to convert and then managing the conversion on a sort of place-by-place uh, place basis. So if we've got a heat policy decision in 2026, we are already planning what that conversion might need to look like, by the way. We're not waiting for the heat policy decision to then start thinking about it. So we expect to, in our next regulatory period, to really put our plans together, which talk about conversion. There might be some things that we can do ahead of conversion, like extra bits of mains replacement or changes to consumers' appliances and metering well ahead of time. But the main bulk of conversion is going to happen during the, the 2030s, and that's when there'll be large-scale hydrogen production and, you know, uh, conversion closest to those clusters first. It's really a really massive project if you think about it, but it's very exciting because we get to change the landscape of the country's energy sector in in one big go. It's brilliant. Mm. So, so for those locations that aren't near the clusters, you, will they, you know, will they be the last to convert 
to hydrogen? Or do you think we'll have enough clusters around the country that you know everyone will be within a certain distance? Well, I mean, our plan at Caden is to um, look at all our geographies that have got natural gas today and explore how you would convert them to hydrogen, and where that hydrogen would come from, so that there's a plan for every region. And like, it's not just sort of north to south either. There's lots of opportunities for hydrogen to be produced in the south and or imported, by the way. So we've got Bacton, we've got um, London. So, I mean, there'll be, and throughout this time, of course, there'll be people electrifying some heat too. So we've got to manage this, you know, process collectively with the with the electricity networks so that we are having an optimal plan and where we're working together to work out what needs to be done. So it's, it is complex, right? And we, we don't have answers to all these questions yet, but we're working together to, to pull one together. And it sounds like, a, it sounds like a, an area that really could benefit from one plan. I suppose there's a there's a challenge in terms of providing people choice and then having a plan about where we're upgrading the electricity networks and where we're converting the hydrogen as well. I wonder how all of those things sit together. It's a, it's a, it is a tricky problem, isn't it? It is, but you know, we, 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 we can work together on these things and you'll have to make some assumptions. And don't forget, we need, it's not just about an in-the-moment thing. We've got to have an energy system that's resilient. So any particular network might need a bit of a proportion of both because what you don't want to do is to be without, you know, additional energy source when maybe there's challenges with one. I mean, we've only seen what the this, the recent storm has done. You know, those kinds of consequences are quite significant for both electricity and potentially gas sectors too. So because they help each other out in these places. And that's why you need a plan for each region. You need a joint plan between the gas and electricity networks. And you need one that is, you know, reviewed and supported by the, the local community. It's going to have to be community level planning. So will you be, uh, will you be looking forward to, uh, you know, a gas, a hydrogen gas home uh, in the future? You'll be, uh, you, you'll be first in, in the line if it's possible to convert maybe even a hydrogen fuel cell car as well would you uh, would you go that route do you think if that was possible yeah absolutely uh, the hydrogen fuel cell cars that we've got at Caden are absolutely brilliant to drive we just need places to fill them up and you know I'm lucky I live in in Sheffield so I'm quite close to uh, electrolyzer factory where I can get some <laughs> hydrogen um, so I absolutely will be in the queue you know it, it would fit my home perfectly. I saw uh, Toyota announced the pricing for the new generation Mirai this week. Uh, I only saw it in dollars, so I think it was about $50,000. Obviously, that's going to be less in euro and pounds, but also they're offering, I think it was a $15,000 subsidy towards the purchase price. And I think it does does 400 miles around to a tank for each fuel uh, refueling. So, uh, you know, that kind of starts to have some advantages over battery electric vehicles. But I guess it all then comes down to the running cost, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, um, I'm waiting for my Tesla to be delivered in the new year. So I think ultimately your decisions about um, electric versus hydrogen vehicles are you know, dependent on your individual you know, situation. Mm. There's, there's definite merits for having hydrogen cars, actually, for those who, who you know, travel long distances and want that kind of lifestyle for want of a better word but electric vehicles will do will do a lot of the heavy lifting from our sort of 
domestic transport point of view, hydrogen really comes into its own when it's the sort of heavier end of things, the buses, Mm -hmm. the, you know, heavy goods vehicles, the train transport. And, you know, that's where a big slug of that green hydrogen is focusing on right now. I still like to drive the hydrogen car, though. It is really nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked, Angie, that you've got a Tesla turning up. I can't believe it. Well, you know, I'm green. <laughs> I, I did a project at university on compressed natural gas vehicles back in the early 90s, and that was, uh, that was going to be the future of uh, road transport back then, apparently. At least that's what we thought when we chose our project. But um, we had a lovely photo of a, of a London taxi from uh, from the war years with a huge bag of uh, of gas town gas i assume at the time on the top of the taxi <laughs> looked like just a, a large balloon i think the safety uh, safety requirements were slightly <laughs> different back then <laughs> i mean there's loads of vehicles that run on you know biomethane things like that today so it's 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 not an unusual thing you know so running vehicles on a compressed gas you know works and hydrogen fuel cells work and can be used in lots of different applications. We're about to do a, a, a really interesting project about the purification of hydrogen. As soon as you put hydrogen into our gas network, it picks up a bit of North Sea dust. So um, if it's going to feed a fuel cell, it needs to be, you know, pretty mm. pure. But a, a small bit of purification should be able to, to f- fix that. So um, it's very expensive to transport hydrogen around the country in tube trailers um, but if you can use the gas network for it, you'll be able to get you know hydrogen to fuel cells up and down the country. You might even be able to fuel your hydrogen car at your home. That would be cool. Yeah, we've got a long way to go. A lot of things to change, a lot of transition to happen right across uh, right across our economy. I think all the innovation and all the uh, all the all the options need to be on the table, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you very much, Angie, for joining us today to talk about all things hydrogen and and networks. It's been really, really interesting to talk with you. Thanks. Thank you. It's been great. And uh, thank you, John, again, for joining and guiding us through. It's it's always good to have you on these. Cheers, Matt. I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Yeah. And just on that point, we have the series running. This series, as I said, will be about hydrogen. So please do subscribe to the podcast and you'll get the next one automatically into your device and have a listen. We're covering a range of different areas in hydrogen, talking to all the players in the hydrogen industry. So it really is worth doing so and and, and subscribing. So with that, I'll say thank you very much for listening and hope to have you listen again. Bye-bye.